0: From India's largest newsroom, I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast.
1: This is footage from Jahangir Puri. It shows evidence that writers, in fact, collected lattes a day before the riots. But I'd like to put that disclaimer once again the CNN News 18 can't verify the authenticity of this video. Clearly the police looks outnumbered. Who are these people? Why have they not been caught yet by the state police?
0: In the past weeks, there have been multiple instances of communal violence reported from across the country which followed a similar pattern. Processions were held on festivals. These processions were alleged to have been attacked. This in turn sparked clashes between members of the Hindu and Muslim communities. Clashes due to Ram Navami processions were reported in states like Madhya Pradesh and Gujarat. Days later, there were clashes on the occasion of Hanuman Jayanti in Delhi and Andhra Pradesh. One of the questions raised by these events is why they are permitted if they risk sparking communal violence. And what action is taken if they do spark violence? In Delhi, the police filed a case against the Vishwa Hindu Parishad over the holding of the procession. However, the VHP responded by saying that it would fight the legal battle and its spokesperson said that the police had been informed about the procession. The Delhi police subsequently issued a revised statement in which the VHP was not named. There have also been allegations against the police in Madhya Pradesh and Delhi that members of the Muslim community were largely targeted while making arrests. In today's episode, we're speaking with three people to better understand the problems that the police face in preventing communal violence, why they struggle to bring the perpetrators of this violence to justice, and how things could be better. First, we're speaking with Ellen Rao, a retired Deputy Commissioner of Police from Delhi, who's now a lawyer. He explains the processes behind how such processions are given permission and the challenges of bringing the perpetrators to justice. Mr. Ram, could you start by explaining how such religious processions are carried out? Because in Delhi, we saw the police point out that the VHP didn't have permission to take out the rally in Jahangirpuri. And the VHP claimed that they had sent a notice to the police. So, could you explain how this system works?
2: In Delhi... uh Any procession, if it is taken out, it should be with the permission of the competent authority and for uh, allowing this procession, uh, the deputy commissioner of that particular area where the procession is to be uh, carried out, that permission of that deputy commissioner of police is uh, required. Now the system is that the the whosoever is the organizer of that rally, he needs to seek permission and there is a format of seeking that permission, that uh, format has to be filled. There are some conditions also, and the, uh, the, the organiser has to agree with these all conditions, and then it takes about uh, uh, two, three days. The DCP will uh, require a report from the local SHO, and he will get to know whether this, this procession, or any rally, or any meeting uh, may not cause any communal harmony or something like that, so that there should not be any law and problem and after getting that report from the concerned sho then dcp of that area gives permission to the uh, concerned uh, organizer of that such, uh, such religious processions when the permission is granted there are some con- certain conditions attached to that uh, permission also they should not carry any weapons arms or something like that the, whatever conditions the police wants to impose
0: and only that permission is granted in that case. When religious rallies take place, what are the challenges for police personnel in maintaining law and order?
2: Where there is a, some apprehension of communal tension, like here it was, we have to see the demography of that area, what type of people they are residing and which type of people that rally should be or procession will be taken away. And what type of slogans, strongs? music, DJ, or any provocation uh, speeches are then uh, uh, point, uh, carried out in that procession or rally, then ref- definitely it becomes a challenge to the police. I had been also the station house officer and the in charge of the district and in charge of a subdivision. So in that case, we keep both the representatives of the uh, both the communities and they, we have very cordial relation with them. And whatever we say, they abide by that. But sometimes it happens. Like uh, in 1,000 processions, rallies, releases, rallies, only one or two incidents occur like this. Only because the police has a, uh, keeping a very good rapport with these organizers. And they also, because they are living in that area, they have so many other works to be done through that SHO or of that area. So they they are bound to... Obey the orders of, and instructions of that concerned SHO, I think that it seems to be a pre planned There may be some bad elements. There may be some other persons having their own vested interest. They create such type of problem and in this case also, you might have seen some criminals are involved and some highly motivated political um, persons seems to be involved. This is a matter of investigation.
0: And in terms of prosecutions, what are the challenges the police faces in such cases?
2: Prosecution, I must tell you, the uh, percentage of conviction in such type of right cases is very low. If you go by the data of NCRB, it's not more than 5 or 6%. In 100 cases, only 5 cases can be convicted. I also remember one uh, right case, which ended in 30 years. So, with the passage of time, the witnesses are no more. Some, in some cases, the prime witnesses are no more. In some cases, the memory of the witnesses goes fade. In some cases, the evidences are destroyed. And in some cases, communal harmony, because of communal harmony, the people of the other party, affected party, victims, they also tend to uh, have compromise with the opposite party. Uh, there are so many accused persons whose role cannot be individually identified during trial or during investigation. The uh, uh, court requires that the role of an individual person, whosoever is sent for trial, explains specifically that this person has done such and such, such such thing. And to prove that role, we have to produce some evidences also. That's why, that is the reason that the, uh, in the trial, there is really are the challenges. That is the reason, when the conviction rate is low, then the person, is only, the person who is arrested in such type of cases, they don't have fear of law. They, they think that once we are getting, uh, get out on bail and it will take uh, years to years to decide this case, so there may not be any problem to them. And finally, they also think that they will be acquitted in such type of cases.
0: Rao said that he didn't see anything wrong with the Delhi civic body doing a controversial anti-encroachment drive in Jahangir Puri days after the violence. But he admitted that its timing couldn't have been worse, especially since peace had just been restored in the area.
2: MCD was under powers to remove the encroachment encroachment on the public land, but at the same time, I must tell you that the timing was not good. At this time, if if it is done, then its overall criticism is bound to happen.
3: It has been very unfortunate, last, uh, say, few weeks, have been very unfortunate in the sense all the instances of communal violence, they were the result of a complicit state and an inefficient and non-professional police. All the instances were preventable, provided police acted uh, in a professional manner and the state was not uh, so brazenly complicit. Instead, justice, which was being... uh, given to the uh, victims is uh, a proof of indian state becoming more and more uh, if i am allowed to use the word barbaric and uh, uncivilized because this justice by a bulldozer is not a part of any civilized society
0: retired uttar pradesh director general of police vibhuti narayan rai who you just heard is far more critical of the use of bulldozers after communal violence. The retired police officer who has handled counter-insurgency operations in Kashmir and headed the police force of India's largest state, has also studied communal violence across India and how neutral the police has been in its handling of such incidents. He explains the challenges the police face in investigating such cases and the inherent bias in police forces. What are the challenges the police faces in tackling incidents of communal violence?
3: The biggest challenge is the state. The body language of the state. Political interference in policing is increasing day by day. You compare uh, from the first few decades after independence to this uh, uh, state, you find that uh, policing is being... uh, Decisions are being taken away from police headquarters. But since they are not uh, given initiative, they are not given discussions, and uh, whatever uh, is communicated, many things are not communicated in writing. It is the body language of the state which is more important. The body language shows, say, that a particular community is guilty and it has to be punished. So police also accept that uh, that particular community is guilty and they should be punished
0: and they punish them you've spoken in the past about the sort of partisan behavior of the police something you've just kind of alluded to with the state's behavior um this is something that has been documented in multiple studies as well how difficult is it for us to have a neutral police and what would we need to do for that
3: otherwise it is very difficult because police comes from the same society you know? a constable is recruited at the age of 18 19 An IPS officer is recruited at the age of 22, 23. And by that time, he has a very big baggage on his shoulders. And he carries that baggage with him in the service. Uh, That baggage includes prejudices, wrong uh, perceptions, impressions of others. And it is not only a Hindu policeman who is coming with these baggages. Even a Muslim uh, constable and Muslim IPS officer might also carry the same baggage up. so unless we unload it the, through training interventions through other positive uh, indications we tell them that uh, since uh, the moment you have uh, you started wearing khaki you cease to be a hindu or muslim you have taken allegiance to the constitution of this country so you should be more loyal to the constitution unless we are able to convince them Uh, they will uh, behave in partisan manners. They will always address we and they. So, uh, this is a difficult task, but I think it is not impossible to achieve, provided we sincerely try to make our society secular, democratic, make our society uh, loyal to the constitution which we have given to ourselves. But unfortunately, it is not happening.
0: In terms of this training that you speak of, how good is it currently and, you know, where do you think it needs to go?
3: The training currently is not, uh, say, uh, commensurate to the challenges which a police force or a police man individually faces in the society. Uh, a constable who is recruited at the age of 18 to 20, he goes through a training uh, program of, say, 9 months. Or an IPS officer goes through a training program two and a half years. And after that, whole life, most of them are not exposed to any other training interventions. Present day training, it, uh, it, two-thirds part of it comprises of physical training. You know, weapon training, mm. tactics, mm. field crafting, mm. field engineering. So the capability to study behavioral patterns of the uh, delinquents or capacity to think in a say, secular and uh, impartial manner, that is not built. More training interventions are needed. I personally feel that after every four or five years, a policeman, whether he is at the lowest rank or at the uh, top leadership, he should be exposed to training interventions. And uh, these Baba Adam ke Zavanye ke They should have no place in our uh, uh, day-to-day schemes. The worst thing is that a policeman uh, personally feels that killing a criminal is doing something great for the society. Mm. In Uttar Pradesh, say last three-four years, you find hundreds of people have been maimed. They have been uh, fired at one particular uh, part of their uh, body and their legs. They are not killed, but they are maimed for the whole life. Police man uh, normally feels that it is not only his uh, sacred duty, but it is his right to do all these things. So he will have to uh, to be told that this is none of his job.
1: We found that about half of the police personnel, one out of two, believe that Muslims are very much naturally prone to committing crimes. Again, a large section of the police believes that SC's ST's uh, Prevention of Atrocities Act is being misused and the cases filed under them are false and motivated. Obviously, the upper caste police personnel are more likely to be of this opinion. There are similar attitudes towards people who come from poor backgrounds or who are migrants or the nomadic tribes. When we look at what the people themselves have said, it is also again pointing towards a bias of the police. 47% of the Muslim respondents in our survey felt that the police uh, wrongfully implicate them in terrorism-related charges. Similarly, a large group of Dalits believe that they are wrongfully being implicated in petty crimes or thefts. I mean, the findings are very clear and the situation is pretty dire. The behavior of the police is also not very apologetic regarding these attitudes and regarding their perceptions about these communities.
0: That's Radhika Jha, who works with Common Cause, which has been releasing the Status of Policing in India report since 2018 with the Centre for the Study of Developing Societies. The reports have analysed what people across the country think about the police and what the police personnel think about various issues. She says that while the police should have the much-desired autonomy that it craves, it shouldn't come without some form of oversight.
1: I think we need to unpack the concept of police autonomy itself and uh, try and understand what it means and uh, whether uh, we we often use it as a catch-all term for uh, bringing about any kind of police reforms in the country. And we need to be very specific about what kind of autonomy we are actually looking for. In India, unfortunately, uh, for the longest time, uh, police reforms have been driven by the police officers themselves, whether active police officers or retired police officers. And there has not been much uh, civil society engagement with the issue. For them, the issue of police autonomy obviously makes a lot of sense. And I absolutely agree with them on the uh, issue that there needs to be some kind of operational autonomy and the absence of any kind of undue pressure from external forces. But equally, I think it's important that we focus on police oversight and police accountability because autonomy cannot function without accountability. We, for some reason, seem to have a misconceived faith in the goodness of police officers or the individuals behind the reform. Uh, and we seem to think that their work is being impeded by politicians, by local leaders, other you know, uh, people of influence. Without casting any aspersions on the good intentions of police officers and their efficiency, uh, I think that we need to rely less on their inherent goodness and more on systemic procedures and protocols. And that's perhaps the only way that we can uh, you know, ensure adherence to the rule of law. If you're talking about communal violence or any kind of riot situation, this becomes even more important because they are dealing with minority groups such as Muslims, Dalits, Adivasis. And we know for a fact that the police are biased. There is discrimination. We know that uh, there is disproportionate incarceration of Muslims, of Dalits, of Adivasis and of uh, lower class uh, people in general we know that there is lack of representation of these same groups in the police force. And we also know that crimes against certain communities like Dalits, Adivasis, and uh, all of these, when you look at it together, it points to a systemic kind of bias where you can't really pinpoint one person or one particular department which is responsible. But the system works in a way that it ensures that certain communities do not get the same treatment as uh, uh, perhaps the general upper caste Hindu person would. But in terms of accountability,
0: where do we stand currently then?
1: We found that across the country, about 65% of the police say that they have frequently encountered some kind of political interference in their investigation of crimes. When we talk about uh, crimes involving influential persons, Uh, the political interference uh, increases even more. Another example that I can give you is an analysis which we did uh, for the Status of Policing in India report, which showed that the transfers of high-level officers are significantly higher during the election years. Just to give you the example of Rajasthan, as many as 98% of the SSPs and DIGs were transferred in that state in 2013, which was an election year. Despite all of my reservations about police autonomy, there is absolutely no doubt about the fact that there is an immense political pressure which often bears their investigation or even their uh, daily functioning of the course. Therefore, there is a need to make The police, autonomous to the extent that their transfers, their promotions and postings are not impacted by political partisanship, but are actually based on some performance-based criteria decided by an independent vote. The Supreme Court uh, gave a judgment in 2006 with this objective in mind, uh, in the landmark case of Prakash Singh versus Union of India, in which we were co-petitioners. Two of the directives that the court gave in that case were uh, uh, for the establishment of state security commissions and police establishment boards. Both of these bodies were meant to ensure that any kinds of decisions about police posting, transfer, promotion, heads of police, all of this would be based on some free, determined, impartial criteria. Now, these directives came in 2006. But uh, today it's 2022 and more than a decade and a half has passed. And we know that all of the states, nearly all of the states have failed to implement not just these two directives, but almost all of the other directives as well, which is given by the Supreme Court. So overall, if we look at the level of compliance, it's, it's extremely poor. And it, it is apparent that there is a lack of political will to make any kind of sustainable reforms in the system.
0: Jha says that this lack of will to have any significant reforms, along with the fact that the police lack basic infrastructure, means that they are very underprepared to deal with extraordinary situations like communal violence. When it comes to communal violence, the survey doesn't directly reveal what police personnel think of these situations. However, Jha points out that there is little doubt about the fact that police forces have a problem of bias when communal violence breaks out
1: committees set up by the parliament itself, other uh, investigative uh, works have shown that the police has had an active role in instigating and continuing communal violence in several incidents. Whether this uh, behavior by the police is because of political pressure or whether it stems from their own attitudes towards certain communities is anybody's guess. So there's a huge gap in what, uh, let's say, a Hindu majority person as a riot victim would feel and a Muslim riot victim would feel. This obviously stems from certain experiences and behaviours of the police that the people have faced and it is a clear indication of uh, of their role in the entire episode.
0: And apart from training police personnel through their careers, she says there's one more important feature. ...that needs to be incorporated right at the recruitment stage.
1: I believe that there is a need for representation and diversity. We need to see diversity as a value in itself... ...and not as some kind of a thing that needs to be signed off... ...and needs to be complied with. We found in one of our other studies... ...it's called the India Justice Report... ...women who are recruited into the police force are more likely to be uh, recruited at lower level ranks or stability ranks than at higher policy level, decision-making level ranks. I suspect that this would be true for, you know, also SCs, STs, OBCs, all other communities. Um, For Muslims, the states stopped even giving us data about how many Muslims are in the police force after 2013. At the moment, we don't even know the diversity vis-à-vis religious groups. That, I feel, is a major factor in in trying to change the situation.
0: While police reform may be the long-term solution to handling such situations, I asked former DJP VN Rai about what his studies into communal violence in India had revealed. He also explains how things have changed, due to which the outlook isn't very good. You've actually studied communal violence. Could you explain what are the patterns that are there and how do we break them?
3: I got a fellowship in 1994 and I visited almost 15-16 places of major riots in India after independence. As you know that till 1961, there were no major riots except some which were associated with partition and 1961, we had the first uh, major riot of independent India in uh, Jabalpur, And since then, every second, third year, you have a, a big riot. So I visited all the places and I found a very disturbing pattern that in most of the riots, the number of Muslims killed were not only higher, but in most of the riots, it was more than two-thirds. And another disturbing thing was that police has taken action against them. They were killed, their properties were burned, they were uh, looted. And uh, action of police also uh, fell against them. Uh, More Muslims were arrested. Even when police fired, they fired on the Muslim mob, not on uh, the otherwise. In many of the riots, uh, for example, Babri Masjid, uh, demolition and aftermath in 1984, Sikh pogrom. In many of the riots, we find that the state has not done what it was expected to do. Rather, in many cases, it has done what it was not expected to do. But unfortunately, recently, this pattern has become more vulgar. You find more uh, complicit and more vocal state talking about uh, uh, undoing all the injustices of the past. This is the body language of the state, and police uh, uh, watches this body language and in- get inspiration from this body language. And the you find everywhere, be it Madhya Pradesh, be it Gujarat, be it Delhi, be it Maharashtra, everywhere you find police, the most visible and coercive arm of the state, failing. So,
0: then, uh, how would you think there can be prevention of such things?
3: First, the character of the state will have to be changed. Then uh, let there be uh, least intervention inter- interference in the functioning of police by the political leadership. Police leadership should be more accountable if something happens. Uh, we should have inbuilt provisions that uh, top police leadership will be punished. it is again a long uh, discourse. We have to change our textbooks. we have to change our uh, all those things which affect our uh, way of thinking. We have to change. It's a long uh, uh, journey.
0: What we're also seeing is a sort of change in that pattern where you have these smaller localized riots which are very local to a certain area. Does that change anything as far as how we look at communal violence goes?
3: So this virus has gone very deep. They unfortunately, to the rural, rural areas. Most of these, these localized riots you find in smaller places right? where... Even during partition days, there were no riots. For example, this mob lynching related to the cows. So you find, uh, suddenly you find that rural areas are affected. And this is a disturbing trend in the sense that uh, earlier big cities were witnessing uh, such cases, but more or less our rural areas were unaffected. I have studied the pattern of riots during uh, 1946-47. I found that most of the smaller uh, towns, Kasbahs, villages, they remained unaffected. But uh, big cities were uh, mostly affected. This pattern is changing and it is uh, disturbing.
0: Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathi, and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TOI+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at podcast at timesinternet.in.